Welcome to day 136 of the story that changes everything. Our readings for today are 2 Chronicles chapters 31 through 33. Here's some thoughts to guide your reading for today. After the grand reopening of the temple and the reinstitution of the Passover, in our opening chapter for today, chapter 31, the good King Hezekiah creates a system for sustaining the upkeep of the temple and the support of its priests and Levites. Notice that the king led the way. He modeled the generosity asked of the people by first contributing from his own possessions. Then he ordered the people living in Jerusalem to give the portion due the priests and Levites so they could devote themselves to the law of the Lord. The people were so generous in this chapter and faithful in their giving that those responsible for collecting the offerings piled them up in heaps. Chapter 32 deals with Hezekiah's major crisis. In the 14th year of his reign, likely in the year 701 BC, the king of Assyria tried to invade Jerusalem. This event flips a bit of the theology of the historical books on its head, as the book of Job will do later on. Hezekiah has been faithful, and thus we think only good things should come his way. Yet in this case, right on the heels of the chronicler articulating all of Hezekiah's faithfulness, a great challenge and threat arises anyway. In response to that threat, Hezekiah has his military staff block off the water springs from outside the city. This text refers to one of the things Hezekiah is best known for, creating a tunnel system that brought water into the city, thus keeping it from being vulnerable to a foreign army cutting off its water supply. Hezekiah's tunnel was discovered by archaeologists in the late 19th century in Jerusalem, and visitors to the Holy City can walk through that tunnel that extends about a third of a mile from the city to the Pool of Siloam. I've done it, and it's worth doing, even if it caused my claustrophobia to kick in a little bit. Hezekiah then gets the walls and the troops in order and gives to the people a powerful speech in verses 7 and 8. He says this, Be brave and be strong. Don't let the king of Assyria and all those warriors he brings with him scare you or cause you dismay, because our forces are greater than his. All he has is human strength, but we have the Lord our God who will help us fight our battles. The message from King Sennacherib is very similar to the way the story is recounted in both the books of Kings, but also in the book of Isaiah. The king's messengers come and taunt the Judeans guarding the walls of Jerusalem. The messengers first call into question why Hezekiah has torn down all the high places. How can God help them if Hezekiah has torn these sacred places down? And then the messengers recount all the nations and the gods that they have conquered and collected on their way to Jerusalem, and Yahweh will be just like the other gods that they've defeated and captured They even yell all their threats in Hebrew so that the common people would know the danger they are facing. Uniquely in Chronicles, Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah join together in prayer about the Assyrian threat. Interestingly, Isaiah is not narrated as an outsider or a prophet from outside of the kingship, but instead as an inside prophet and an important spiritual counselor to the king. Their prayer is heard, and God not only miraculously defeats the Assyrian army, but also brings about the death of Sennacherib at the hand of his own sons. The final two verses of the chapter bring the story of Hezekiah to a close. The formula is similar to the other kings in the book, with the exception that the chronicler mentions that Hezekiah was buried in a special place on the hill or in the upper area where the tombs of David's descendants are. 
chapter 33, turns in an initially disappointing direction with the reign of Hezekiah's son Manasseh. Because of Manasseh's wickedness, the reader should expect that the reign of Manasseh is brief, but instead, Manasseh's reign lasts for 55 years, the longest of the kings of Judah. King Manasseh is the only king in Judah's history to start out poorly, but finish strong. The first part of Manasseh's life was lived in contrast to the lives of Joash, Amaziah, and Uzziah. These three kings started off faithful, but then they soon veered into unfaithfulness. By contrast, from the beginning of the reign of Manasseh, he did evil in the sight of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. In the Torah, Moses warned the people not to emulate such practices, among which are specifically listed child sacrifice, divination, sorcery, the interpretation of omens, and witchcraft. The Chronicler reports Manasseh as guilty of all these things, and even more, including that the king consulted mediums and spirits. Manasseh also made an unspecified image and placed it in the temple for worship. God's judgment on Manasseh came in the form of the Assyrians. The Assyrians come down, capture Manasseh, and put a hook in his nose and lead him away into exile. But in captivity, something incredible happens. Like the Judeans themselves, in exile, Manasseh is transformed. The text does not tell us how he got back home, only that he was sent back home repenting of his wicked ways. Manasseh repents and makes important reparations. The story turns quickly to the account of his death, but within the standard formula account, Manasseh's prayer to God, the prayer that brought him a changed heart and a changed life, is mentioned. Unfortunately, the changes made by Manasseh are very temporary, as the chapter ends with the brief history of his son Amon. Like King Ahaziah, Queen Adaliah, and King Joash, the reign of Amon ends in assassination. The text highlights that unlike his father, Amon did not humble himself before the Lord. And so Amon is killed, and those who plotted his assassination are also put to death. The kingdom is wrought with violence once again. The way the chronicler tells the story of Manasseh is interesting to me. In telling the good parts of his life that the Deuteronomist leaves out in Kings, it's as though the chronicler wants to tell the people that not every story has to start well and then end badly. There's the possibility of the reverse, that in the broadness of God's grace, a broken story might become whole and transformed. Even in our own day, when the stories of moral failures of Christian leaders are frequent and devastating, perhaps we too need to be reminded that by God's grace, broken stories don't have to end that way. If God can redeem Manasseh out of his wickedness, then God can redeem any of us out of our sin as well. So read these texts carefully and full of the hope of God's grace today. We're getting close to the end of Chronicles. Our readings for tomorrow not only finish off the book of 2 Chronicles, but they also complete the history of the kings. Tomorrow we're reading 2 Chronicles chapters 34 through 36, and we're adding Psalm 58. I'll talk to you tomorrow.